0: What up, peeps? It is March 4th, 2021. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message. I've been awake since 5.30 a.m. this morning because I was on America's Newsroom with Dana Perino and Bill Hemmer on Fox News. At like 6.30, I had set my alarm to 6.00 but then you know when you set the alarm for the super early wake up, and then you wake up before that, and then you can't go back to sleep, and you just look at your alarm nonstop for a half hour, so I was up at 5.30. But despite that, I'm here for you, and we've got a big show. Not a little show, not an average show, a big, huge, spectacular show for you. Uh, Quick reminder, guys, click that subscribe button up there, and uh, tap that notification bell so you actually see our videos in your feed, or at least you have a chance to see our videos in the feed. Uh, we are doing a Q&A today. I was gonna do just a regular show today, but then we saw this video yesterday of Joe Biden almost doing a Q&A, and then I thought we should do a Q&A because Joe's not really doing a Q&A. We're gonna show you that video, and then we got a ton of questions at rubinreport.locals. which I'm gonna plow into, and it's actually a really nice mix of questions, and I'm in the mood to answer some questions, so we're gonna get to that. Before we do, though, guys, I want to talk to you about Bonner Private Wine. I've got a bottle right here. If you're a health-conscious red wine lover like me, here's how to make your next drink 10 times healthier. Down in Argentina, they make this really dark red wine from Malbec grapes grown at 9,000 feet. They've been lab-tested, and these wines Uh, They found out that they contain up to 10 times the levels of a longevity and heart health nutrient called resveratrol. Resveratrol is powerful stuff. It pops up again and again in studies on longevity, heart health, and brain health. These wines also have 90% less sugar, fewer chemicals, fewer additives. Plus, if you love steak and BBQ like I do, red wine has been shown to actually make red meat healthier. But the best thing about these wines is that they taste great with notes of blackberry, leather, cherry, and smoke. As you guys know, I do a lot of steaks around here. Adam Carolla said I made him the best steak he's ever had in his life, and that guy's got some dough, and uh, we enjoy some red wine while we're doing it. Today, the guys at freethinkerwine.com are giving you 50% off their best Malbecs, and you'll also get 50% off free shipping. Wine makes a great gift, even if it's a gift to yourself. I do often give myself the gift of wine. Uh, Just visit freethinkerwine.com today. That's freethinkerwine.com today. And now back to me. All right, so the reason we're doing the Q&A today, we've been trying to do them about one one a week, uh, but because I did this live event, uh, earlier in the week on Tuesday night in LA and we had about 100 people there and I was obviously answering a lot of questions in person and chatting with people. I was like, ah, maybe we won't do a Q&A today. But then this video went viral yesterday. Now, before we throw to the video, Joe Biden, I talked about this yesterday, he's about 50 some odd days into his presidency. He has not given a, a full press conference where he takes questions from the crowd. He's uh, from, the, from the crowd, from the press. Well, I guess they're a crowd now or, or whatever they are, the few people that would sit in that room with him um, he hasn't done one of those. He also did not give a state of the union, which every president for the last 80 plus years has given a state of the union in their first month in office. So they're kind of hiding him. I mean, that, that's pretty obvious. But then there are these weird moments where he's just supposed to talk and suddenly he like kind of accidentally opens the door for questions. And, uh, this is yesterday. And just to clarify, it's his 43rd day in office. We like to be exact around here. Uh, let's take a look. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do, Nance, whatever you want me to do. I'm happy to take question, Nance, if that's what you want me to do. It's whatever you want me to do. Now, Nance apparently is a staffer over there at the White House. But does, and then they immediately cut him off. So do you see what happened? They're like, who's really in charge? Do you think, I don't mean to be partisan. I don't mean to mock anyone or anything like that or mock mental health. But do you think Joe Biden's in charge? Like, does anyone in their right mind think Joe Biden's in charge? And where is the mainstream media? Why has no one at the beloved New York Times said anything about this? Why has no one at the reputable news organization known as CNN said anything about this? That that putting aside the cognitive stuff, it's just clear he's not in charge. Nance, Nance, can I take a couple questions? Dance, maybe, maybe. And then they just cut him off and then they just move on because they know the media won't even ask about that. Um, Just for a little more info on on what I just touched on about presidents uh, giving press conferences, the last 15 presidents have all given a press conference in the first 33 days. Joe Biden, as I just said, is now at his 43rd day. He has not given a press conference. It's fairly obvious that they are going to hide him as much as possible. It's not going to happen. And then we get Jen Psaki, who is just. Such just so stiff and and you know they're all dishonest. I don't say they're all dishonest because Dana Perino is a former. White House press secretary and she's become a friend of mine and I just did her show this morning and uh, she's on our show next week because she's got a new book coming out. So it's not not dishonest, but the, the the job of the press secretary obviously is to curate the truth. It's to sort of hide certain things, let you know some other things, clarify some other things. Jen Psaki just comes off as patently dishonest and that seems like it's about the best we're gonna get in this administration. So Joe, Joe wants to answer questions or at least he doesn't remember to not answer questions, and uh, they're, they're just not having any of it. Okay, we got about 20 questions to get to before I do it real quick, guys. Uh, you know, spring is in the air, and you know what that means. Swimsuit season is just around the corner. You might be thinking, I know, Dave, but how can I tame my sweet tooth at the same time. Do not fret, people, I've got just the solution for you. Bilt Bar is the secret to eating healthier food while also eating tastier food. Bilt Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for the keto diet. I can actually lose or maintain weight while indulging in a yummy treat. Healthy has never been this delicious. Bilt Bars taste like candy and come in 18 amazing flavors including mint brownie and cherry barcia. Cherry barcia. how about that? My personal favorite is cookies and cream. You guys know that. We've got a whole bunch of them right here. I've got the cookies and cream right here. Uh, And I know with restaurants open up, guys, it'll be tempting to indulge, but we also need to shed those additional quarantine pounds, which is why Built Bars are the perfect alternative to pie for the health-conscious guy. Each bar contains 110 to 160 calories, 16 to 20 grams of protein, three to five net carbs. You don't need the luck of the Irish or a pot of gold to buy a Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Rubin to get 20% off your next order. Use promo code Rubin for 20% off at builtbar.com. And now back to me. All right, so I think I'm gonna do a, uh, I think I'm gonna do an uncensored q and I think I'm gonna do an uncensored Q&A right now for, the, for everybody. I'm gonna do just an uncensored, I'm just gonna answer questions from you guys. Nance, would that be okay? You see what we did there? You see, you see who's playing along at home, huh? Okay, here we go, guys. Conservative Chica 79 says, why isn't anyone covering critical race theory being implemented in the armed forces? There are diversity inclusion mandatory training sessions in the army. Well, I like to believe that I've been talking a little bit about it. I know that my friends at The Blaze have been talking about it a little bit. I know that the guys at The Daily Wire and some of my other far-right, radical friends have been talking about it. Yes, critical race theory has now been injected back into the system. So when we talk about systemic racism, which we haven't had, there was no systemic racism in the armed forces. As a matter of fact, remember the orange guy? He had banned critical race theory in federal institutions, not only in federal institutions uh, like the armed forces, but also with businesses that do business with federal institutions. You could not have these uh, diversity and inclusion programs. Uh, That was an executive order that he signed. Now we can all debate the validity of executive orders and, and why they're problematic, as the kids say, because one guy signs them, new guy comes in four years later, he just unsigns them and signs some new stuff. That being said, Trump did get critical race theory out of a lot of the institutions and Joe Biden brought it right back in. So that's right, the diversity and inclusion stuff is right back in, it's in our armed forces. When training is happening now with our armed forces and when they're selecting for people uh, to get promotions and all sorts of stuff, obviously now they are going to be looking at skin color. They are going to be looking at gender and gender identity and all of those things. That is not to say. I have to stop doing the... the uh, the exclusions on this, you know, like just making, like everyone knows, everyone knows. It is not to say that you shouldn't get a job because you're black or you shouldn't get a job because you're trans or gay or a lesbo or whatever it is. That's all well and good, but we should be hiring the best people based on qualifications. Those are the people that should be making their way up uh, important institutions such as the armed forces. They shouldn't be looking and going, oh, you know, we actually should have 33% black people and 33% Latino people and 33% white people, or forget 33%, that would be too even. We should just have the exact same percentage as we have of those people in, in the United States, that's how we should uh, make up our army, it's crazy. So this is something that we should talk about more. And one of the things that I, that I often bring up when I talk about this, which is an idea that uh, originally I originally got from my, pra- my friend, Peter Boghossian, who as you guys know, he's a, a philosophy professor up at Portland State, and he's been one of the most outspoken people against diversity, inclusion, and critical race theory, and everything else, is that once these institutions, whether it's a, a business or a governmental institution or whatever it might be, once they inject the ideas of diversity inclusion, once they hire a diversity inclusion officer, once they start putting resources towards that, you are now taking resources away from whatever it is you do. So if you sell sneakers, you're now more focused on race and gender and sexuality than just selling the best damn sneaker as possible. If you're in the army, you're now focused on hiring people based on these things that we might have in the old days called racism, that the obsessive focus with race, uh, instead of building the best, you know, most slim trim army that is possible. So it's a huge problem, I'll keep talking about it, and and I need you guys, not I need, you need to talk about it too to your friends and family and, and have them understand that these really terrible ideas are infiltrating the entire system. Uh, steamboat. Says, has there ever been a case in history where the people limiting speech and banning slash burning books have turned out to be the good guys? That is a great, great question. I, I cannot think of an instance where banning books, hiding information, you know, destroying the ability for for a society to exchange ideas. I cannot think of a situation where that could possibly be good. I mean, we can all picture the images of what was happening in Nazi Germany when they were having bonfires with books. And in essence, we're having digital book burnings right now. There was some guy who named his best-selling book from last year, Don't Burn This Book. (laughs) Very handsome, by the way, that fella. I forget his name. But the point of that book by that handsome fella was that when you say don't burn this book, it's like the things that I laid out in that book were basic, I think, moderate, for the most part, moderate positions, things that were completely in line with the way the country was founded and the way it has run for so long. And those are now dangerous ideas. And it's not like we have book burnings in the traditional sense yet, right? So even in the last few days, as the uh, publishing house that produces Dr. Seuss's books, they've said these six books are no longer gonna be published. They're, they're not out there burning them, right? Even, even the crazy wokesters aren't out there burning Dr. Seuss books yet. But when you stop publishing things because suddenly they don't fit the norms of the day, yes, Dr. Seuss was a big racist when he was writing about the cat and the whatever in 1942. Like, it's just so silly, right? And it's like, wait a minute, let, let's pretend even. Even if, even if I will go so far for you wokesters, because I know you guys, if I give you an inch, you're not going to take more than that, right? Well, I'll go so far and say that those books, those six books, they were evil, they were racist, they were homophobic, they were transphobic, Nazi-ish, right? They had a little Mein Kampf type stuff in them. Well, if if it's legit to get rid of those six, well then wouldn't you get rid of his other 33? Because even if they don't include that stuff, he's a Nazi and we've got to take out the work by the Nazi, I mean, that's why none of this makes sense and we're in a very bizarre cultural revolution right now. I mean, that's really what's happening. We are watching every norm be absolutely destroyed. Uh, But tomorrow, we will be doing a show just on this. We're we're going back to the panel on Fridays and we have a live panel all about book burning, uh, the history of book burning, the history of dangerous ideas, uh, and we will have Abigail Schreier, who you guys know, I had her on the show, uh, who just wrote a book about the, the epidemic of young girls transitioning. And that became a very dangerous book that at one point Target pulled from the shelves and it was only until an outcry against the non-outcry in the first place that allowed that book to get back in there. Uh, we'll have Nancy Rommelman on and we will have Michael Knowles and we're gonna do all at a, a whole half hour about modern and digital book burning. Uh, Lynn says, do you think the sexual harassment issues with Cuomo are just a smokescreen to get people's minds off the thousands of elderly patients that he killed? You know, I addressed this yesterday because I think there's something interesting and also kind of dangerous happening with Cuomo right now. Look, we were told for years, believe all women. We were told, me too, and you gotta believe all women, and, and if someone accuses you of something, you gotta step down, you gotta get out of the way. Now, we know, of course, this only worked one way. It worked to take out conservatives. It worked to take out... You know, people like Brett Kavanaugh. We know that. And then when it happened when, when uh, Democrats or left-leaning people are accused of it, then, oh well, that we should probably find out more information and we need a special investigation and blah blah blah. Now I am not sitting here saying that, that Andrew Cuomo is some kind of pervert or that he has done anything or not done anything. There are three women with sexual harassment claims. From what I understand, none of them are, are of a physical nature. It's all about things that he said and jokes that he made, okay? Now, I'm not defending that, I'm not even casting judgment on any of that, and I don't know all the motives of these women. I'm just saying, if you guys wanna play with the rules that you set up, right? So, Cuomo, these are the rules that you guys, the lefties, the progressives set up about Believe All Women, so, you know, you kinda gotta go down by by the rules that you set up. I think that is one way that, that let's say, right-leaning people can start gaining the culture war back is just make them play by their rules. Two things, actually. You make the left play by the rules that the, that the left sets up, and you also don't play by them. Do not play by their rules. You know, they, they are out to destroy everybody. And, and with when you add the big tech element of how they can spread rumors and innuendo and send mobs after you and everything else, it's like, let them play by their rules and also don't play by their rules. That's a, that's a pretty good twosome Right there. As far as the the real scandal here, it's the latter part of your question, which is this issue by sending elderly people back into nursing homes. We know that COVID spread. Okay. We, I mean, this is not up for debate. Google it, read many sources. We know that this was a policy that he uh, instituted and that's for, that's for the people of New York. That's either for the, for the uh, New York legislature to deal with if they want to impeach him or for it's for the people of New York to basically create such a situation that he has to step down or just not reelect him at the very least or whatever. But yes, the, the sexual harassment thing seems like a little bit of a sidebar and you can see the right pouncing on it. They do pounce a lot, those people on the right. They're they're always pouncing. Um, but you can see them kind of pouncing on it because I think they just see blood in the water. and And unfortunately, that's the game that politics has become. But To me personally, the issue about what happened with COVID and the elderly patients and his complete mismanagement that genuinely cost people their lives, that's far worse than than the sexual harassment accusations. And I would also add to that that it's because none of them are physical in nature from what I understand it. So it's words. And I'm not defending any of those words. We've all all made off-color jokes, right? We've all done it. I'm not defending any of that. But if it was a physical thing in nature, as if he had, you know, if a woman was coming out saying, you know, he raped me, that might be a little bit different. But I think you got the point. Uh, Ali Nam says, what's your taste in art, style, media, artist, or just one painting that really touches you? I love this question because, you know, I had Jordan Peterson obviously on this week. And one of the things that we discussed is art and beauty and why it's so important, why we need to see beautiful things to sort of reach out and and find the transcendent. And uh, I I actually love art, so we're gonna put up a couple images here. So the first image that you're seeing there, that is a piece that used to sit behind me. Uh, There's the old set that used to sit in my garage. And uh, all of the pieces that we're about to show you are by a spectacular artist by the name of Kaylin Rose Janet, it's Kaylin Rose Janet.com. I think we're going to show a link there. Now she does happen to be my my sister-in-law. Full disclosure, but she's a wonderful artist. We're going to show you a couple more. So uh, the you're seeing which one am I looking at right now? I'm looking at the right one. So that that piece uh, sat behind the the guests on our old set. It's now hanging in my house. This black piece that you're looking at over there is the is the second piece uh, to that first one that we showed. And then uh, on the right there, you're looking at an amazing resin pour. That's in our house. That's about a five giant circular resin pour. And then uh, finally, one more. That is uh, hyperspace, which we commissioned her to do. And that is, I think, five feet by eight feet, which we have hanging in our house. And every single person that comes into our house is just blown away by that one. And just put that one up for one more second, the the hyperspace. That thing was a freaking labor of love for to paint that by hand, get all those lines right. Like that thing took hours and hours and hours. Anyway, she's a truly spectacular artist. And you can get prints, I, I don't get a commission on any of this stuff. Yes, she is my sister-in-law, but I think the work stands on its own. Um, you can get prints of hyperspace and some of the other stuff that we used to have on my set. that That white one that we put up there, um, that actually, yeah, that used to sit behind me on the set. That's actually in our bedroom right now. And anyway, to, to really get to your question though, um, there is a real importance to art that I think we've forgotten. You know, we don't have great art anymore. We don't have great comedy. Um, when was the last time you heard some really new music that really moved you? Um, so I love, like, it's great, you know, we host a lot of dinner parties here, highly illegal dinner parties with other, you know, right-wing radical criminals, and we might be doing one in a few days, actually. And, uh, and I love when people come in and they see something in your house that, like, moves them in some way. So one of the new rules that Jordan has in Beyond Order, which came out this week, um, is that you should have one room in your house that, that basically restores... Some beauty, and if if you can't have one room, or you live in a, uh, you know, you just live in a little one-bedroom, whatever. If you could just have a corner of a bedroom, just something, so that throughout your day you see a little bit of beauty, uh, that helps you get to the to the thing, to the thing that's beyond us. Uh, So I I do love art. I'd love to know what what you guys love, and I and actually a bunch of people have been posting different things of art, and I and I met somebody the other night at a live meet and greet who's uh, painting a picture of Clyde. So yeah, art, people, art, it's good. There you go. Uh, Chris says, heard on your podcast that you're planning to hit Florida in April. Just wanna make sure that Miami's on the list so we can come out and support you. Yes, I will be doing a a comedy club tour. I think we're gonna do about seven stops, probably about 10 days in Florida. I'm just gonna bounce all over and do as many shows as I possibly can. I wanted to do theater shows there and get, you know, to do a couple thousand people. And we would have done like three shows instead of obviously comedy clubs are smaller. So we can do more shows, um, but the theater situation is just crazy right now because of COVID, and there's all these extra expenses because of testing people and and how many people can be there, and it's it's just all even the comedy clubs, it's like confusing how to do it. But yes, we will be doing a show in Miami. We're gonna we're gonna really bounce all over the state, probably five to seven shows. I'm super psyched to get out there, and and you know what? I'll have two or three jokes, but mostly what we're going to do, I'm going to get up there and we're going to do a little of this. I'm going to talk about what's on my mind. I'm going to talk to you guys. Maybe I'll give away some stuff, get some of you guys on stage and just have a good time. Imagine that human beings having a good time out at some sort of venue, drinking and eating. What a world. Candace says, uh, I say we have a mask burning, you in? Yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait, man. If they ever open this ridiculous state that I live in, California, I cannot wait. to. I will, does, can we get one of those Elon Musk flamethrowers? Can we, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna look into an Elon Musk flamethrower, otherwise I got just like a little match and I'm just gonna burn my little mask with the match. Uh, but yes, it, w- it will be great. And again, if you wanna wear a mask, Wear a mask, all good. Texas is open now. Guess what? They're not gonna shoot you if you wear a mask. They're not even gonna shame you probably if you feel that you wanna wear a mask and take whatever precautions you wanna take in your home or place of work, get to it. But they're taking the risk. Texas, Greg Abbott, the governor there is going, okay, we've seen numbers drop. Now we're gonna open up. And by the way, I tweeted this out this morning, but you know, even if, I, I suspect that there won't be like some massive outbreak of COVID where suddenly we're gonna watch tons of, of young people die. I don't anticipate that happening because Texas has been largely open anyway, and Florida has been largely open anyway. But even if you see some little spike in numbers, Perhaps that gets us closer to herd immunity, which is a phrase that we were talking about a year ago, which we don't talk about now. Now we talk about two masks and we can get back to normalcy in a year from now. So this is, the, this is the system actually working the way it was supposed to, that governors are making decisions for their people and wise people live in states with wise governors. That says a little something about me, but we're not doing therapy today. Anya says, what will it take for people to stop being so afraid of the virus? It's a similar question. You know, that is the thing, though, that I'm really worried about, because you're asking sort of like, when you talk about fear, it's like the psychological makeup of people. I think that that is what is sort of being burst forth into the zeitgeist right now, is we're learning that people have very, very different fear centers. A certain amount of people have uh, medical fears. And by the way, that's not just all, that's not just all unwarranted. If, you, if you're older, if you have comorbidities, if if you're out of shape, if you don't have good healthcare. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are completely legit. There's a certain type of person, I would say, that thinks that the machine, that the machine can just take care of you and keep you safe and it will do it out of the goodness of its heart and that the leaders and the people in charge are all know what they're doing. And that's partly why we always forget what they said two weeks ago, because often they don't know what they're doing. And that's, that's part of science is playing a little catch up with new information and everything else. But, but I'm interested in this question because by talking about the fear, it's like when, when I think about it this way, when I was in Florida, it was very obvious to me that, that people, at least the people I was around, and I was out and about and on the beach and at restaurants and at bars and people say hi to me, it was very clear to me that people aren't sort of dominated by fear. I met a lot of old people. The last night we were there, we were at this Mexican joint indoors, and there was a couple. These guys were probably 85 years old. I told the story, this was an earlier night, I told the story about how we were sitting there with my, my sister and her young kids, and this old couple comes up to us, and this elderly woman, elderly, she's pointing her like old bony finger. Oh, oh, that's a cute kid over there talking about my nephew. And I turned, and she literally stuck her finger in my mouth, and it was like yeah, and I survived, I'm pretty sure she survived, but that the culture of fear in Florida is much less than a place like Los Angeles specifically and, and California more broadly, that when I go to the supermarket, I can still tell people are afraid. I, I had, uh, we had Megyn Kelly over for dinner the other night and I ran out to get a bottle of tequila before she got here and I'm online and there were, the store was basically empty and some guy yelled at me because I wasn't standing exactly on the sticker. And it's a combination of like fear and control and frustration and anger. And then what I've noticed it does to me personally is that then when I'm out in these places, I'm kind of like a little trigger happy. I'm like, yeah, I'm like looking around like, yeah, you just say something to me and I'll tell you what's what. I'll give you the old one-two, you know? And that, nah, that's not good either, that, that, you know? So again, people should do what they think is right and stores should do what they think is right. And then I think the rest is up, the rest is out of our control, people. Uh, Gina the Nomad says, are you a morning person, midday guy, or night owl? You know, I'm at my best, it depends what I'm doing. I'm at my best for work in the morning. I've mentioned this a couple of times, like I get up, I pee first, then I come downstairs, I make some coffee, I get Clyde in the backyard, feed him, and then I'm going, like, and I'm going and going and going. And obviously with doing shows and running a tech company and everything else, like, I have no shortage of things to do. And even if I have a rare second, I usually don't because then I suddenly realize I gotta catch up on something else or emails. And there's so much going on with locals right now and on the investment side, and we're gonna make a couple of announcements in the next couple of weeks. So I would say in terms of work, I'm definitely at my best in the morning. And I, and I love just like plowing through the day. And then uh, Michael and Connor, who are here, my, my director and my producer, they know it's like, when, when we're done, like if we sh- finish after a long day of shoots, four or five o'clock, I'm like, man, I don't wanna talk for the rest of the day. And then often, sometimes at dinner, David will be like, you know, what, what's going on today? Or wanna talk about the news? And I'm like, I'm like, you could talk, but maybe just give me a break. I, I don't wanna talk right now. Um, but then I also, I really enjoy the evening. I actually really enjoy the evening I, I you know, I, I love some red wine. We talked about red wine earlier. So I love just popping a bottle of red wine and uh, we've got a little fire pit in the back and, and just sitting back there and relaxing. I don't really watch a lot of TV anymore. There's really nothing on. I, you know, I always joke that I watched, I literally watch the same three things that I watched in 1989. I watch uh, The Golden Girls, Seinfeld and The Simpsons. Uh, just repeats from basically back then, and I watch old basketball games. Uh, So productive during the day. Midday, you know, the midday, the midday is the midday. Uh, But I like a little little evening relaxation as well. Storm Huffman says, are conservatives gonna go through what the left and deranged liberals went through four years ago? Are there other self-critiques we should consider before just flipping out? Yeah, you know, what's happening right now, I think this is an interesting question, because, you know, the left has gone so bananas. The wokesters have gone so bananas. There's been such a decimation of the good liberals who are just like all, you know, I always use the order 66, like the Jedi spread throughout the galaxy. They don't know how to get in touch with each other. They don't know where they are. Everyone's kind of shell-shocked, like what the hell happened? And in effect, if you're an old school liberal, I would say you're a you're a modern conservative. Uh, somebody might be writing a book about that as we speak, speaking of being busy during the day. Um, but what the, what the new... I don't like saying new right. I would say what this new conservative movement has to do is, is go, how do we become the biggest tent possible? Because it's all of us versus woke. It's all of us versus woke. But how? what parameters do we have to have on that? Meaning, when I say all of us, it's like, well, we don't want KKK members, right? You don't want KKK members. And then there are, there are deep issues that need to be dealt within that, meaning, okay, now you're gonna have, and, and you've had them for years, you're gonna have gay conservatives, guys like Rick Grinnell, these people exist, right? Somebody like me, these people exist. Somebody like Douglas Murray, these people exist. Well, how does, how does that square away with, say, the more traditional uh, religious conservative? What a great thing to talk about. Like if if you could agree on the basic building blocks that we wanna live in a free open society, well then, then that's a spectacular place. Do we all have to agree exactly on what religion we are or the way we live our life or all that? That doesn't strike me as very conservative actually, but that's, That's a great place to fight. I would say in terms of um, self critique so that you don't become as hysterical. You know, every day we wake up and something crazy has happened. So every day you wake up and like, like who had it on their bingo card that three days ago we were gonna wake up and they're taking out Mr. Potato Head, right? And then the two days ago they're taking out Dr. Seuss. This thing is gonna keep coming. And as somebody pointed out, you know, with all the, so we get rid of the Land of Lakes lady, we get rid of Aunt Jemima, we get rid of Uncle Ben. So we're just taking black people and, and people of color off all of the things in the supermarket. So now when you go to a supermarket, you'll only see products with white people. And that's because of the wokesters. That seems like something white supremacists would want. Wouldn't white supremacists only want rice with white people and syrup with white people and the rest of it? Or now it's not even that they're putting white people on those things. Now they give you just like the generic company name. What's the What did Aunt Jemima go to? She's now the the Pearl Mill Company or something like that. Like, it's all just so ridiculous. But I think for... For anyone that's non-woke, the, the challenge is how do you address it? How do you show people the absurdity of it without becoming hysterical, without being obsessed by it, you know, without getting lost on Twitter? And I, trust me, I I struggle with that because I see the nonsense, and then you know I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, do I have to point this fucking ridiculous thing out to you people again? Like, how often do we have to do it? I felt that that was an appropriate f-bomb there. I'm trying to no not no all right good. All right, that's it. That's the one for the week. All right, what's next? What's next? Uh, oh, uh, Nuclear Patrick says, although JP's books, Jordan Peterson's books, are packed with insights, I feel uncomfortable with his view of life as centered in suffering. You, and, you appear genuinely exuberant and optimistic. So how do you feel about this? Well, I, I basically agree with Jordan's premise that, that life is tough, there's a lot of suffering, and you gotta do the work to get out of it. And we've all been in all of those places, right? We've all been in the dark place, the sunken place, I think is what the kids call it. We've all been, we've all been there. We've all had whatever struggles we have, coming to grips with yourself, being addicted to drugs, struggling with stuff in your family, all of those things, right? Like whatever your stuff is. And it always feels like, because it's yours, it's like monumentally huger than anyone else's. Uh, We've all had all of that stuff. So I do think life, It's not that life is suffering, it's that it takes work not to be suffering. And I think Jordan, with these two books and with his lectures and everything else that he's done, I think he probably has done the best job of anyone in a modern sense to say to people, yeah, there's suffering, but you don't have to suffer. And here are some of the tools to get through that. And of course, as you know, he's working through those things himself. He never pretended that he was a perfect you know, humanoid robot that had conquered everything and has he has his own struggles. And that, if anything to me, where I see this criticism, oh, he didn't act perfectly. A guy who wants you to, to live better and he didn't act perfectly, it's like, well, there's no such thing. Do you Do you think that a guy who's telling you about the challenges in life, the ways to get yourself back in order, do you think that a guy who could write that book effectively uh, never struggled with anything like it's just a it's a crazy premise, I think. I, I find that criticism really bizarre. Um, as for how I appear exuberant and optimistic, you know it it took work. It actually took work. but you know if i if I remove sort of the uh, the general state of the world and that I'm worried about um, you know, like the future of Western society and what kind of world I'm going to welcome my children into and that sort of thing, if I just look at sort of what my day-to-day life, although I'm getting into fights with people while buying tequila at the supermarket, like, I love what I'm doing. I love the businesses that I've built. I love my day-to-day. I wake up with purpose because I like doing work. This, the lights are going crazy. Maybe it's a sign. You seeing that, guys? The, we're, maybe it's a sign. Someone's giving me a sign. All right. Oh, we lowered some lights. Okay, there we go. Um, but I think if, if you just gotta find something you wanna do and go get it, and it ain't gonna be easy, but if you just try to find that thing and you just try to get there, even if you don't get that thing, the, the journey will open up some other things. I think that's, I think that's really the, the key to the whole damn thing. Uh, all right, just a couple more. Uh, Philip Hughes says, with all the celebrities who have gotten into the adult beverage business, have you thought about creating Dave Rubin's It's Bananas Banana Liqueur? I should do that, I really should do that. I've talked actually to a whole bunch of wineries about doing like a Ruben Report Red, or a Ruben Red, some some version of that. It's just tough to figure out like truly like how financially it makes sense if you're not gonna be in stores and you're doing it just mail order and how many bottles people have to buy and like a whole bunch of that. And as I said, I'm kind of busy. But uh, (laughs) it's bananas, banana liqueur, I like that. I will put that on the list of stuff that we're doing. Uh, Michelle says, What made you choose August as the month you disconnect? This is gonna be the last question and I think it's the right one to end on. You know, when I started doing the off the grid thing in August, which I've done for four years and I will do again this year, um, even though this past August was bizarrely the easiest one to do because everything was locked down. We we actually did move uh, a couple miles away. So we were busy with moving, but it was very easy just not to be on my phone or paying attention to anything and, you know, being out and about where, you know, at the gym where you see all the TVs, but I wasn't going to the gym, or if you go to a burger joint, and they got CNN on or something. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't in airports, so I wasn't seeing, uh, you know, the news and any of that kind of stuff. I chose August because it seems to me, I wrote a little bit about this in, in Don't Burn This Book, that August, you have two moments, um, I would say throughout the year, where there's great opportunity to shut down. I would say August as a month, because it's, the, it's obviously the last month of the summer. Usually that last two weeks or so, it's between when, You know, kids are maybe ending camp, going back to school. Like everyone, families seem to be calming down, traveling a little bit more. Um, I also really want people to be able to get off that hamster wheel of politics. And I always thought that like, if there was ever a time to do it, it would be August because people are happier in the summer and you have more chance to go to the beach and be outdoors and enjoy yourself. So I don't need to like, you know, just endlessly pump out content for you guys. You know, we do tape some stuff in advance, um, obviously, but like we try to scale it back a little bit. And I always say to my guys, even though they're working throughout August, it's like, if we can do as, if you guys can finish all the work of August, you know, in the first week of August, then congratulations, you got three weeks off too. Um, So, so I do August just because I think there's something right about that sort of end of summer feeling to get off the machines and all that kind of stuff. But I think the other opportunity for that, if you can't do a month, like I get it. Most people cannot do a month, obviously. um, And fortunately I've built enough of a a good team around me that I'm able to do it. But I think the other opportunity, if you ever wanna just try the off the grid thing, I think there's two opportunities. One is just try it for a a weekend. And I know it's hard. Like if, if I said to you right now, you can't look at your phone for the next 10 hours, right? You can't look at your phone for the next five hours. Like that, that would be like a very bizarre feeling. And you'd be having phantom rings and going into your pocket and all of that stuff. But that's really crazy because 20 years ago, we did not all have these things in our pockets. I remember I got my first phone. It was a little candy bar, black and white, Nokia. You know, all you could do was play snake on it uh, I got it right before 9/11. Okay, so that's basically 20 years ago. Not even 20 years ago at this point. And think how different the world is. So I would say, if you if you're interested in the off the grid thing, try to just do a weekend. And it doesn't mean you know you don't have to do it all the way. Like if you if you need your phone because you have family around or you know you want to make sure to you pick up an important call, that's one thing. But but how about just don't do social media for a weekend? Like just don't check emails for a weekend. Just try that. And then the other part of it is that I think the other opportunity besides the August opportunity is basically from Christmas Eve to New Year I think is a great opportunity. Everyone's kind of shutting down. I always find that people are sort of at their best selves at that time. You know, I know the holidays can be kind of rough for people, but I hopefully if you get a little spirit of the season in you, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, and that there's like a good opportunity to like kind of end the year on like just like a more calm, disconnected note, I think there's a great opportunity to do it there. So I get it, not everyone can do August. Although a bunch of people did join me uh, for it this year and I, I have a feeling more people or last year, and I have a feeling more people will do it this year. Um, but try the weekend thing. I, I, try, it, I try it almost every weekend. You know, some, Every now and again, some weird things happen or my phone will blow up because something happened and I feel like I have to throw in something. Um, but if you can't even do that, then, then try the, the Christmas to New Year situation. All right, guys, tomorrow, uh, we are doing a special book burning panel with Abigail Schreier, Michael Knowles, and Nancy Rommelman. If you haven't seen Nancy's uh, PragerU video, What's the title of the video? Do we know the title of the video? We'll get that in just a sec. Uh, It's really uh, just phenomenal. Um, But we're gonna do a half-hour panel live. We're back to being live. We had pre-taped last week. We're back to being live on that tomorrow. Uh, My full interview with Jordan Peterson is up right here on the YouTube. And of course, it's available ad-free at rubenreport.locals.com. And we've been clipping. You know, We always do two or three clips per episode. Um, But for this Jordan one, we are doing a little bit more than that. So clip four with Jordan went up this morning on YouTube. Oh, and Nancy's You uh, video, which is really spectacular, is called How to Become a Dangerous Person. And we could probably all use a little bit more of that spirit these days. Instead of being how to be a cowardly person, which is what we're all hearing all the time, uh, maybe how to be a dangerous person. And uh, Connor, work with me here. If I, I'm gonna maybe take some more questions uh, right now. What do you think? I'm gonna just take some more, guys.